0: You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris-style podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yore and Shotgun Spratling.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud podcast. I'm your host, Keely or joined by Shotgun Spratling. Whoop, whoop! (laughs) (laughs) You didn't
0: see that one coming, did you, Keely? I I
1: did not. That's (laughs) exciting. Um... (laughs)
0: That's a, that's the sound of a road victory for USC. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a different sound because you don't hear it very often.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> Starting off this podcast shady. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we have a fun show for you guys today, if you haven't thought so already by the opening. Um, <laughs> we can talk about USC's 31-26 to 26 win over ASU. Look a little bit at Cal, the Cal Bears, looking to get their sixth the, win of the season. Technically, the
0: Golden Bears. Put some respect speck on their name.
1: Sorry. I'll, the Golden Bears. <laughs> It's game 11, guys. You know the deal with the Family Feud podcast. Thanks for listening. And as a reminder, you guys can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Megaphone. You can also email us your questions or submissions to our podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. Thanks to everyone who does that. We'll be reading them at the end of the show. Shottington, USC is now bowl eligible. What do you take away from USC's dominant first quarter performance? kind of mirroring what we saw against Oregon and then it kind of failed to live up to the hype in the next three quarters.
0: Yeah, and if they did what they did against Arizona State against Oregon, they might have been in the game. You scored 28 points in the first quarter. That gives you a lot of leeway, which they ended up needing because they scored three the rest the last three quarters. I mean, uh, it, was, it was not a great offensive performance. It was a great offensive first quarter. Keaton Slovis looked really good. Uh, their offense it was the same thing as the Oregon game after that, though. They would drive the ball into Arizona State territory and then just basically stall out. You know, several – Several times, both teams did a good job of pinning the other team back with punts, um, but that means that both teams are driving the ball to around midfield, or a little bit past midfield, and then going, we well, can't really get it much further. So that's when you can kick a forty-yard punt and, and down it inside the ten-yard line. So it was not a an offensive you know uh, showcase by either team. I thought both freshman quarterback Keaton Slovis and Jody Yellen played pretty well. But both run games were non-existent. Yeah, And for USC, that's a, it's a big concern because that, I think, is what's holding this offense back to an extent right now. You're not seeing them be able to do things. When you get in plus territory – to be able to lean on some teams and that that's why you can't wear them down later in games you haven't seen that happen from USC and I think that's a product of the injuries they've had now they've done some creative things to try to make up for the run game being kind of you know only having Keenan Christen back there and give him a lot of credit you know he he, he took on a, a much larger role this week uh, just as far as play count uh, and, and things so you know they're doing some nice things, but without a true, you know, without some bruisers back there, and without the depth to you know get a couple of different guys to go out at defenses, I think it's really showing itself. And give the credit to the defense, USC's defense, for making plays when they had to. Three turnovers—that's something that has been there at Keeley's Hill for a year and a half, if two, two years, three years, however long you want to go back. Sure. Whenever the Rose Bowl was, it seems so long ago. Um, but in, it, since then, it's basically been turnovers have been a bugaboo for them, getting them and giving them up, both of those. Yeah. And they did a nice job in this game. They did have a couple turnovers themselves, but you know, if you get three turnovers on defense, you're usually going to win the turnover battle. And they did, and that ended up being the the difference there because you look at the turnovers that USC got – all those could have been potential you know, big drives for Arizona State. If they get three points, it changes the dynamic of that final drive. Hey, If they make an extra point, it changes the dynamic of that final drive.
1: True. Now, on the whole, looking at this game in the context of this season, did you ever watch Whose Line Is It Anyway? <coughs> yes. So, you know, the, the I forget the tagline, but the points don't matter. Yeah. Kind of like that. I kind of view this game as, as that, you know, where <laughs> they got to win. Does the details really matter in the long run, given where we think this is going? Uh,
0: to an extent, yes. Uh, I mean, if you're if you're saying that kind of the the end of this chapter is already written, yep. Um, then yeah, it doesn't really matter. The win matters to USC because you're bowl eligible. Yes, and that matters to those seniors. They're going to get one extra game. Especially for a couple of those guys that may be that aren't NFL guys, those are the ones it really matters to to play an extra month basically of football because Mm -hmm. you know they some of those guys just move on to their next career after after that month ends. So, yes, and I think that's an an important thing for seniors. I think it's an extra month of development for these young guys, and there's so many young guys on this team that are going to be valuable contributors in the future. The getting ball eligible is a big, big deal to an extent. It's a big deal in the fact that you get that extra month. You, you get that extra game for the seniors. It's not a big deal in the fact that you're looking at some of the options that USC is looking at right now, and it's it's not something you would look at preseason and be like, get excited about that. Get excited about the Sun Bowl or the Vegas Bowl or yeah, you know whatever bowl it may be. You know there's still that outside chance to Rose Bowl. That's still a it's a far fetched yeah. to an extent because like I, I said, I don't know three weeks ago, four weeks ago that I didn't think Utah was going to lose again. They've looked really good. They've got a big matchup with UCLA, which did not seem like something we would say yeah, yeah. anytime earlier in this year until maybe last week or so. Uh, but UCLA is playing really well right now. So if they were to pull up a, an upset on the road at Utah, then suddenly things change. And USC will know before they play on Saturday at Cal because they're playing at like midnight. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's 8 o'clock, but it's going to feel like midnight. midnight. And the Pac-12 is known to give, you know, what, what's that uh, hashtag Pac-12 after dark? We'll probably see something strange go on on Saturday.
1: True. Speaking of which, thanks to everyone who sent us Pac-12 taglines. That was exciting. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, we appreciate when you guys interact, you know, with the whether it's the Pac-12 taglines or sending us turnover travelers. We want to see your mini ponies whenever USC. You know, tweet us your mini ponies when USC gets a gets a turnover. If you don't know that reference. You know Chris Trevino, when he was on our show.
1: Shouts to Trevino.
0: Said that instead of the turnover sword, they can keep the turnover sword, but they should be riding a mini pony, and I, we all agree yes. that this needs to happen. So,
1: but send us mini pony gifts. I don't think a lot of people have mini ponies because you keep saying send us your mini ponies.
0: Hey, if one of them just hey. shows up in my front yard, I'm riding it to the Coliseum uh, to glory. I'm I will be trotting it around the Coliseum.
1: I don't blame you. <laughs> <laughs> all let's just get into stock up. Who do you got? Stock up. I'm going
0: to start with Christian Rector. Obviously, the the big play at the end of the game. You know, he's been maligned by the fans this season because you know he's been playing on a bum ankle and you know not being able to hold the edge at times. He just hasn't had the lateral movement that he that he you know previously has had before the injury and hasn't been able to have a great senior season like I thought he probably would have. But that was a heck of a play, not only coming on the stunt. Reading the the quarterback's eyes and seeing he was trying to check down, but to swat the ball and then to go dive and make the play.
1: The you also?
0: Yeah, a little bit. You know, you saw that. I actually thought it, at first when I saw the nine, I was like, "That looks like a Drake Jackson play," because Drake Jackson is a super athletic defensive lineman. And then when he rolled over, I was like, "Oh, that's Rector. Uh, it's great for him." You know, and and he was excited about the fact that he's going to get that extra game. He's one of those seniors that that gets in a bowl game. You don't want to. You don't want to go your final two years at USC without a bowl game for them to get it and bounce back from last year, even if, you know, they're at six and four and it's not the ideal season it's still big for them. And and he was the guy leading that uh, was fun to see. He played pretty much the entire game. You know, he came out for a handful of plays. He came on that last drive for like four plays in a row row. Uh, And Johnny Nansen told me after the game said that, yeah, I could tell his ankle was bothering him. I asked him, you, you, "Can you go back in?" He's got a He said, "I got one more play in me." He played the last three or four snaps there. Wow! Uh, coming back in and and making a big play to end the game there. So Christian Rector definitely on stock up.
1: Yeah, you love to see senior guys, especially captains, get their moment, get their crowning play, if you will. So it's <laughs> it's nice to see that. Now you touched on this a little bit already, but I had Keenan Christian on my stock up. He's given, He's been given an opportunity, and I think he's done the most that he can with it. I think it was a lot to ask for him being like the number one back of this whole offense, just given how many injuries they had, but also the fact that he was up for a red shirt, and they thought he was too dynamic to red shirt. Now, I don't know if that's also just an indicator of how confident they are in Vi and Carr actually coming back and how healthy they actually are, but I think he got to a point where you can't register him. You have to just keep him on the field. So as far as the experience he's getting, the reps he's getting, um, and I'm sure you're going to jump in, Shotgun, with some some stats about those reps, but I thought stock up for Keenan.
0: Yeah, he played 59 snaps uh, on offense this game, which was obviously a career high for him. Average USC averaged 7.9 yards when he was on the field. Uh, he basically played the entire game. He he took he had one drive off to an extent, and Quincy Juntee, Filled in for four snaps in a row in in a second quarter drive. Other than that, he was out there the entire time. I think the showing he can be a pass catcher, you know, showing that he can, uh, you kind of barrel through a guy at the at the goal line. He showed some different things this game. His game continues to to showcase new new tidbits of it, you know, and he continues to evolve and become a better and better player. And hey, it's crazy what playing time does for freshmen. What? It's almost like you should try to get them into the mix, you know, even if they're not a guy that's going to start, you know, try to get them five to eight plays, five to eight plays, five to eight. You guys might have heard that on recording at one point maybe. from me at some point. maybe. But yeah, I just think you're seeing him mature kind of right in front of our eyes because he's been the only guy back there and they've given him those responsibilities and he's he's taking advantage of it. So credit to him, definitely. Another freshman that I think is stepping up and and uh, making the most of his opportunities was Dorian Hewitt.
1: That was on my stock up as well.
0: You know, at the end of the game, you know Chris Steele gives up a touchdown uh, late, and Arizona State has a chance at a two point conversion to get within a field goal. They take Chris Steele out of the game. Not sure if it was an injury or not. We never really got confirmation on that from from Greg Burns or from Steele. Uh, he was holding his arm a little bit, but I—he's
1: touching th- his shoulder, yeah.
0: But it, but from what it sounds like, it was just a, you know, it was just a change made by the coaching staff. They put Dorian Huard in there. That's a tough place to come in on is, a
1: two-point conversion. Is to come
0: in on the two-point conversion. Now he did come in one play earlier in the game. And that was actually, you know, they put a bunch of backups in on this play and USC got the fumble that Talanoa created. There were there were like five or six backups on that play. It was just a random hodgepodge of, of people diving at that football. And Nick Figueroa comes up with it. Connor Murphy's over one shoulder. Raylan Goforce on the other. You know, uh, Dorian Hewitt was out wide because uh, they'd taken Elijah Griffin out after he got in the unsportsmanlike uh, conduct penalty, I believe it was. So he did play one play, but... To come in, it's a two-point conversion. You haven't played in basically two quarters. That's huge for him to be the guy that knocked the ball away. Yeah. And then he stays in for the next couple drives. They don't really attack him that first drive, which you know seems a little bit strange to me on Arizona State's part when you have Elijah Griffin on the other side and you're trying to attack him. Uh, but then the final drive he he gave up one short catch, he knocked away a deep pass, he made a big hit on the sideline. You're stepping up when when the opportunity's there and, and that's what you got to do as a freshman, especially when they're not giving a ton of reps to backups. And especially this game there weren't not a, a bunch of reps. It was, you know, injury substitutions. That was there was a couple of D-line substitutions, but that was about it. I mean, Dejon Benton was the third defensive tackle. And he played, I think, three snaps in the game. Wow. So it, it wasn't like they were rotating a bunch. You know, they, they were moving some guys in and out with some certain packages, but it wasn't, you know, let's get some fresh bodies in there type of thing. And partly that was because USC's defense was so dominant early that they didn't wear down as much. So I, I thought it was really big for him to get in there and make the most of his opportunities. A guy that was a safety coming out of high school, kinda under recruited, undervalued, I think, you know, being on a state championship team and you know, being a really fast guy, and it's kind of like, why did he not get a little bit more attention? You think in Texas, where you know football is king, but he comes to USC and they turn him into a cornerback. And he said they saw something in me that I didn't see, and so I thought that was an interesting thing. I talked to him after the game. He said that uh, that you know the coaching staff saw that I was a cornerback that I could play that position. I didn't think I necessarily was, and it took him a little bit of time to adjust. And then Greg Burns said this uh, during the week that. He saw his confidence really take off after he got into a game. Again, I was about
1: to add to your five to eight plays point. Dorian Hewitt is the prime example, <laughs> like that because I watched the interview with Burns and and it just pointed to that directly.
0: Yeah, exactly. He said, you know, once he got in a game, I think it was Arizona where he got thrown in a little bit when, uh,
1: when they put all the the backups in.
0: Yeah, you know, the, if you can blow out a team, it's yeah, crazy that's, what that's happens. The point, yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, the, the, he got in the game and he said. I think Greg Bernska was kind of saying, "Hey, he realized, yeah, I can play this position. I can play cornerback." And it took him that actual game experience to kind of realize that. And I think he's taken off. And from the sounds of it, from talking to people around the program about him, they're really high on him. They think he can be, you know, a special kid out there on the outside. When you know he's a guy that lightly recruited, three star guy, you know, all the crap the coaching staff got about the three stars. They've had some of those guys step up and be some impact players so far this season.
1: Without a doubt, and I think that's interesting to kind of put an earmark on that, to watch that development happen, just because I think we're witnessing kind of a, the rise of Dorian, if you will.
0: <laughs> Another guy that they're, the, the coaching staff is really high on is Abdul Malik McClain. He's mm-hmm. on my stock up. You know, Every time I see him, I, I'm being more and more impressed by him and what he's able to do coming off the edge. Wearing that number 42 – he looks a lot like another 42 out there, and and I'm not just talking about Yuchina Noosu attacking the passer. You know he he's got some thump when he hits somebody too. So he's got a little bit of running lot back there too. Uh, now I'm obviously he's not playing safety or anything, but I just think the quickness and stuff. He he doesn't necessarily look like just a defensive end off the edge. You know playing that outside spot. You know he's doing some different things. He gives them speed off the edge, but he can he's got great bend coming off the edge. He just destroyed that offensive lineman. On the the first drive of the game, when he goes right around him, he said, "Yeah, I saw something on tape." And he, he's like, he, "I was like, did he even touch you?" He's like, "I don't know, maybe." <laughs> but he's such a humble kid. And I was talking with Joe DeForest uh, a couple days ago about this, and I was I was like, he he just he doesn't have the prototypical ego that you have with a edge rusher that's really good. You look at the guys in the NFL; they're the guys that are doing the sack dances and all that stuff. He just he hits somebody, gets a sack. And then the next play was fourth down so he's like okay what do I got to do on special teams. He didn't really celebrate the play at all. He smiled. That's about it.
1: I think this is also a product of the fact that he's not 100% yet because if you look at my footage of the sack, he almost looks like a fish out of water. You know like fishes when they like do that weird like body dance. <laughs> I don't know how to describe <laughs> it because he he couldn't use his arm. His arm that's in the in the harness. Um, because I think it's still sore because he has to get up with the other arm, and so he's not really celebrating with that arm. And other guys were like attacking him, and you could see he was a little like uh, gentle with it. So it was just interesting watching him celebrate. And the interesting thing too is Drake Jackson was in his ear telling like, and I talked to Drake after the game. I was like, "What were you telling Abdul Malik McLean?" He's like, "Well, he's been working so hard for this. Like, I was just pumping him up." But it's, I think it says a lot about uh, Abdul Malik, but also about Drake. Here's this true freshman coming in and and. and pu- pumping up Abdul Malik after his sack. I just thought it was an interesting dynamic to watch uh, in the little moments of a game.
0: And obviously it's a very small sample size. He's only played 22 snaps defensively. But he's got two sacks already. I mean, he got, he got a sack in his first game back from injury. And, you know, obviously he gets injured on that play uh, in the Arizona game. But now getting another sack. You know, he likes the Arizona schools, apparently. He's got apparently. One, one against each of them. Uh, but he's a guy that just continues to work. And the coaches are really high on him. So he's a guy to, to look out for in the future. You know, as a redshirt freshman, he's going to have some more and more opportunities as his, his career progresses.
1: I feel like we're creating a Family Feud watch list. <laughs> so, far it's, so far, it's Dorian Hewitt and, and Abdul Malik McLean. Could be. And granted, I feel like the the non ego thing you're talking about is also just a like McLean trait. They're both such humble kids. It's crazy.
0: And but it's interesting. Like it just, I was so surprised. Like you know, I was talking to Joe DeForest about it, and he's just like he he's just he's different. You know. He has a, he when he comes off the edge, it's a little bit different. you know the way he acts is just a little bit different and he just goes about his business and you know he's just gonna try to beat the guy on the next play. And the fact that, like you said, he he's doing it with one arm to an extent right now um, because I don't think there's much mobility there in that shoulder. You know that he can do too much. There's certain moves that he can do. I don't know if he has the full repertoire, and he's still been able to get to the quarterback. He had a couple more pressures in the in that final drive as well, where he got. There's one where I got a picture of him. Joey Yellen's releasing the ball, and he's just out of range from being Mm -hmm. able to pop him a little bit. Uh, So he a couple more times where he got close, but not quite.
1: My final stock up is health question mark. (laughs) So I don't want to fully commit to it, but I will commit to it. Um, (laughs) Classic indecision from me, Mm -hmm. but. Coming out of the ASU game, I thought this was another body count list, if you will, just given how many bodies came out. But I think most of them came back, and now, granted, we only can see so much in the media pen for the 20 minutes, and sometimes they do some trickeration. But, like, a Caleb Tremblay or Eric Cromenhook, who did have a limb, but guys who I thought, ooh, they might be out for a while, were back, and then seeing Stephen Carr and Vivai Malapai get some more work, actually be in pads and go through that, was a good sign for USC, especially if you want that run game to finally kind of have more uh, of a life.
0: Yeah, and you look at... Being dressed, you know, guys that were not dressed for the the Arizona State game, there were 20 scholarship guys that were out of that game. And then they lost a couple more guys during that game. You look at Brett Nealon, who's going to be out for a couple weeks. Uh, You know, Tremblay, Crumman Hook, like you talked about, Tyler Vons goes out late too, so he's a little questionable. So, you know, at the end of the game, they got 24 scholarship guys that aren't playing. You only get 85 scholarships. So, you know, when almost, you know, when you're closing in on a third of that is on the injured list and not able to play, that's, you know, it's really difficult to do everything you want to do. And I even asked Graham Harrell about that with the fact that they could get the two running backs back, Stephen Carr and Vavai Malapayai. And he said, yeah, you you would call probably some different things if you had more depth.
1: No, first he said, I'd like to get those two back. With like a <laughs> little, little laugh. He was being a little funny there.
0: Yeah, so I, I think they can run inside more. And that's what he was kind of talking about. But I, I just thought that – They kind of changed their play. They've changed their play calling so much the last few weeks from what they have been doing, Mm -hmm. Um, and whether it's formational and they try to do some creative stuff with Amon Ross, St. Brown in the backfield, uh, just trying to do, trying to have a running element. I'm not gonna call it a run game, but have a run (laughs) element where the wide receiver screens are part of that, the swing passes to the the running backs are part of that, all those type things that aren't just built into the pass game naturally. Um, or aren't downfield passing like you would normally do, not what they were doing a lot of earlier in the season, that they added to try to, to, try to alleviate some of the pressure so teams can't just pin their ears back and come after and t- try to take some of that pressure off the offensive line. So if they can get some healthy guys back, we'll see if they revert back you know, potentially, uh, and we'll see what they do with Amon Ross St. Brown because he's another guy that's on my stock up. Okay. You know, he had a monster game. Uh, obviously, when you get a 95 yard touchdown, that that generally helps boost the stats. A True, lot. Um, but you know he was everywhere. They were able to use him in the backfield to uh, uh, give Keenan Christen a little bit of a break. You know he's such a weapon when you can throw the ball before he breaks and he goes and gets the ball wherever it's kind of placed. You know he he's just a dynamic player. Him and Michael Pittman, you know they've moved them out around a lot. We we looked at that in film study last week. You know and those two guys are are such different types of receivers, but such tough guards for a defense. They're guys you would want to key on. You know, If that was the only guy on the other side, if it was Michael Pittman and, and three other guys that aren't USC caliber guys, and you'd be like, we'll just focus on Michael Pittman. We'll double team him every single time. And some teams will try to do that. Mm-hmm. But when you have a guy like Amon, Amon Ross St. Brown inside, then it makes it that much more difficult on defense to be able to try to, to cover You know, both those guys, and you add Tyler Vons in, you add Drake London, you know, that's why the receiving core is so dynamic is because you can't really double up. There's not just that, you know, there's not that Bolitnikoff award finalist on this team that you've got to focus on and you know that guy's getting the ball all the time. You know, it's not even like when Marquise Lee was here, even though he had great understudies, you know, it's not him getting the ball 17 times in a game. You haven't really seen that. It's the guy, it's being spread around, it's whoever's open, and you're using one receiver to get the other guy open a lot of times. So I you know, both Pittman and uh Amon-Ra St. Brown had monster games in this one, but Amon-Ra particularly, you know, his stocks just continues to rise for me because he's returning punts. You know, the 24-yard punt return puts them at the 41, I think it was. Now, how you don't get any points out of that. Please don't let it be a chop block. That's what Clay Helton you could see him talk say on the sideline. Oh wow. Uh when the flag was thrown on that one, and of course it was. Um, but, you know, that just absolutely destroyed that drive. You know, there, there's still some offensive issues. A lot of it goes back to penalties. They're not helping at all. Uh, and that's one of the things that continues to plague this team over and over and over.
1: We're not in stock down yet, sir.
0: Oh. Uh, so, but I got Amon Ross Rast- on, on stock up.
1: I think there's also something to be said for, I guess, how seamless his transition was to a running back role. I thought he's just done so well. And his vision when he gets the ball in his hands is just... It just he looks natural, and granted, he played that in high school. But I just think it's it's there's something to be said for that, and the fact that he's not healthy. You know, he's not healthy. Just yeah. if if you watch him on the field, he's he's paining, and, and it's been his hip uh, for a while. So I always have a, a extra admiration check for guys who you know are just hurting out there and say nothing about it and keep doing their job and doing it well.
0: Yeah, his vision as a running back is, you know, probably better than. At least thirty to forty percent of the last five years of running backs. Ten, nah, let's give it a little bit long. Eight years of running backs at USC. Wow! Like I've seen, he he does a much better job of protecting himself to an extent too. You know, other guys are like trying to spin, and suddenly you spin, you get drilled by somebody because yeah. you didn't see that other guy coming. You were too focused on the first guy in front of you. He he just has a really good awareness mm-hmm. of not only the first guy but the next guy, and that's something that. It is such a rare trait. you know. The last person, and probably the guy that I've seen have this the best, was Randall Cobb. Covered him in high school, and he just seemed to be setting up the first guy for the second guy almost every time. Uh He was a quarterback, but when he would run the ball, it was just like – and I think that comes with being that size. Because Randall Cobb is a very similar size receiver as Amon Ross St. Brown. You know if you take big hits from safeties, you're going to be injured. So you are looking for that next level defender, whether it be the linebacker or safety a lot of times, I think. And my final stock up, whoop, whoop, a road victory.
1: Oh, okay. I was like, you're bringing this back? Somebody whoops this.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was ugly. But, you know, to get to win on the road is it, still big for this team, especially with how much they've struggled. I mean, it, it's a yep. pretty simple stock up. But to be able to get a road victory, knowing that they have another one coming up this week and going to Cal, I, I think it's really big. Because if you lose that one, I think you lose the confidence to – uh, before you go to this cow game. where Winning that one gives you that much more confidence. You know, you've won at Colorado. Now you've won at Arizona State. Cal's not a great team. They have a really good defense, but they're not a great team. So now you have confidence you can go on the road and win there too.
1: And I think we've seen that this team tenses up when they feel the pressure. And if they lost against ASU, it, is there pressure from the coaches or just internally about, hey, we need to be bull eligible And just tense up. And I I don't think they they play better when they're fast and loose. And I don't think you can do that if you have that wing on your mind. So, a positive. Good
0: point. And also, you know, there'd be more pressure because of what happened last year, finishing the season with three losses. Without a a
1: doubt, yeah. That narrative would start up quick if it It, hasn't already. It had
0: already. I mean, because there was people saying, well, you were 5-4 and last year. Yeah,
1: actually, it had. You're right. And the whole Clay Helton, are you fighting for his job? Yeah, yeah, that whole thing. But... Since we're already kind of into it, stock down. What do you have?
0: I think I put this last week too, but finishing the same thing with the drives.
1: Four quarters. You know they've
0: had twenty drives now in the last two weeks where they moved into opponents territory, and they're averaging two point seven points, and and a lot of that is coming from those that first quarter. You know, they, they just have not been successful. I think after the first quarter, I believe they had five more drives in Arizona State territory, and they got three points. That's just not good at all. No. They have to be better at that. You know, it wasn't necessarily turnovers this week in in you know in the red zone or anything like that, but just stalling out when they get to the around the 40-yard line and then, you know, penalties were really bad you know Tyler Vaughn they end up punting but Tyler Vaughn's hitting a false start on fourth and three when you're going to go for it and forces fourth and eight now you're punting you know they had two false start penalties that if the if the same plays would have played out would have been first downs instead they had a four they ended up having a fourth and four and ended up having a fourth and five two plays after you know false start penalties so you're giving up five yards and then you fall five yards short you know, so those are just bad penalties. Now, I think it probably had something to do with Brett Neilan, you know, going out. Justin Diddich maybe having a different cadence or something mm-hmm. a little bit different there. But you gotta get that, you gotta get that stuff figured out. You gotta get it, you know, maybe one time it happens, you gotta get it figured out with a quickness. I mean, they had bunch, the penalties were also stocked down, special special teams penalties, yeah, you know, false start and a uh, illegal shift because the long snapper isn't not fully cognizant of everybody around them. You know, Jason Rodriguez got the, got the illegal shift because he was, you know, trying to get set up and they were ready to go. You know, those things just, they, they need to be cleaned up.
1: Yeah. Which was highlighted before the season started. So the fact that it hasn't been cleaned up, I just think is reflective of the coaching staff. This is a thing that you can fix. It's discipline. And that's something that Clay Hilton took on himself personally as the CEO role. And, If it was a business, it would not be going well.
0: Yeah, he would not be doing well at the quarterly meetings.
1: True. Very true. Similar to your finishing drives, I said playing for four quarters. Granted, they didn't give up when when ASU was having momentum, but I think just playing smart, disciplined football for four quarters is something we haven't fully seen from this team and Mm -hmm. something that I mean, is it too far to say now in week eleven that they need to do? But to see this team put four quarters together of good football is something that they should be striving for, and I don't think we've seen it yet.
0: I I doubt we will see it, you know. And that's
1: why I'm asking: is it pointless to even say that?
0: Kind of, because if you're ten games in, and you haven't had, you know, you haven't put it together. It's not like it's oh, there's a couple drives where something goes wrong. It's it's a couple of quarters where something goes wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's just – it hasn't been – it doesn't even feel like they've been close. The Stanford game is the only one you can say. The Stanford game, they looked really, really good. The Utah game, they looked okay. They won it. You say, wow, it's a great win, but you don't go, they played great the entire game. No, that was not the case. They got out everything in that game and somehow won because Zach Moss wasn't playing. That was probably the difference in that game. Uh, the YOLO raid. Shout and the Troy. So the Yolo raid, you know, got got them that victory, but you know, otherwise, you know, just it it has not looked like they are capable of doing it. You know, they are capable of being explosive, they are capable of making great, outstanding plays, they're capable of being tremendous athletes, but putting it all together consistently, it doesn't look like they're capable of right now.
1: And what I said on incident analysis is, I think that shows it's the microcosm of what this team is. You can see the talent. You can see the potential. And you see that in, in certain plays, certain quarters. But you also see the lack of culture and discipline and coaching in the sense that they can't do that on a consistent basis for four quarters. You know, I, I think it really just speaks to the duality of this team, the problems of their pros and cons, if you will.
0: Yep. I think that's exactly accurate. I got stocked down for uh, Golden Opportunity, I wrote. And by that, I mean, you're up 28 to 7. You could be up 28 to nothing
1: if your special team's not terrible. I didn't even put special teams on here. I did. Kickoff return coverage. Are you kidding me? I was surprised that no one was talking about it more than they should have been after the SU game. And maybe that's just because people have just shrugged and moved on about USC special teams like you just did. But I mean, to me, it was like, are you kidding me? Like, you cannot stop the return game. Like I get that Brandon Ayuk is is good, but he's not Christian McCaffrey out there. Like I just don't. It's just ridiculous. It's
0: bad tackling too. You know, on each of the first two returns, they had chances to tackle him and just didn't tackle him. And it's Kenai Amalga was one of them. You know, Kyle Ford. You have a starting linebacker. Starting linebackers. If, if you're gonna put a starter on your special teams, they should make a tackle. True. You can't be letting guys spin away from it. Uh, And guys getting out of their lane and stuff is just is partly discipline. So, like you pointed out, it's like I just kind of shrug at it. I didn't even put special teams on my stock down. It was terrible, but it's like you know, after the Oregon game, you're just like, all right, it's not really stock down. It's the same as it was previous the previous week, so it's unchanged to me.
1: Stock neutral.
0: No, it's unchanged to me. Stock
1: neutral. Thank you. It's at the bottom. bottom. It didn't change, so the stock is neutral. No,
0: it's not. It didn't change. It's fine. Unchanged. I won't put
1: special teams in Stock Nigel because it doesn't deserve that <laughs> honor.
0: <laughs> no, see, you didn't put it there. Sure. Uh, I had golden opportunity, though, because, like I said, they could have been up 28 nothing. You know, They were up 28-7. That is a golden opportunity to make a statement to an extent, get those young guys playing time, show that you're behind your head coach. All the things that you would want to say if you're a team playing for your head coach, You know, to be like, hey, you know, there's all this, we bounce back. Look at how well we bounce back. We we can rebound. No, you bounce back for a quarter and then you go, eh, eh. And you just let them right back in the game. So it was a golden opportunity to to, to blow out a team on the road, to get all your starters out there, get some rest for all those guys that are beat up. For the last two games where which could still be important and you'll find out before those last two games yeah. whether or not you have the inside track to the Pac Twelve Champion or to the Pac Twelve Championship game. And instead, no, you can't do it. Can't do it. Can't put things together long enough to, to be able to blow a team out and be able to take advantage. You know, there's just a golden opportunity to to get young guys opportunities and they didn't do it.
1: Agreed. My final stock down is eight PM starts. Ew. that's all i have to say
0: ew ew uh i got stocked down for isaac taylor stewart he was in for six snaps he gave up two touchdowns that's not good um he was in for two drives and you know one of them was the the drive at the goal line set up by iuk's long kickoff return uh there was i don't know if he had a miscommunication with a safety but he did not do well and then he just got beat on the long touchdown by Frank Darby, but he didn't get an opportunity to go back in there. I don't think the coaches liked his his body language on the sideline. Uh, he's a he's not a very active guy on the sideline. He's like him and uh, Elijah Griffin are polar opposites as far as their their emotional uh, state and emotional showing emotion at all. Um, but he just you know his, his shoulders seem slumped on the sideline. I even asked Greg Burns this week. He's like, what do you got to do to get him? back in action, get his confidence back a little bit. And he said he's had a really good week of practice, so maybe he's bouncing back from it. And then my last stock down is scheduling. You you mentioned APM. This made me think of it, but there should never be a college basketball game on a Saturday in November.
1: You said this in our last pause, It's sir. so dumb. Yes.
0: But now USC basketball and football are going to be playing at the same time, which is dumb. Both of them at 8 PM, which is dumb. Just say this one more time. It's dumb. Dumb. Shouldn't be on there. Shouldn't be on there. I like the echo. What else have I heard?
1: Heard, heard. Been on the sideline, sideline, sideline. Oh, well done. What a great transition. <laughs> heard it on the sideline.
0: What did you hear, sir? Uh, let's start with Clay Helton. You know, between the third and fourth quarters, he was going up and vehemently. You know, fist pumps up and down the defensive huddles, bouncing between the defensive linemen, the linebackers, and the defensive backs. Before the start of the fourth quarter, it's let's go, let's go, let's go, and was really, you know, really trying to motivate them. And then his motivation worked, I guess, because they had to immediately go out there because Keenan Christen fumbles on the very first play of the fourth quarter, and they're putting a predicament. You know, it's plus territory for Arizona State. They get a three and out, so give them credit for that. I'm, you know, I, you can't say that it wasn't Clay Helton. You can't say that it was, but I thought it was interesting just how it kind of played out that he was immediately he was giving fist pumps to the defense when they were on the bench. Uh, in between the quarters, when he could have been talking to the offense, and instead was talking to them, and they had to immediately go out and have to do something.
1: I thought it was, and I don't know if I'm overreading this, but I thought Clay Helton's body language and what he was doing to motivate guys on the team was much different than what we usually see. I feel like this was a guy stressed for his job security, and he was very on people. And like I like the defense does this thing, and it's actually from like a couple seasons ago where they do this thing where they put their hand above their helmet. And like go, I don't know how to describe this over podcast, but they go like this. They do this thing where they put their their hand up in almost like a level because that's what they're doing. We play to this level, and like there's a standard, and so that's what that hand motion is that you see. John Houston does it because he's kind of from that holdout, and sometimes you see Isaiah Pulhamau do it, but they're doing that, and and they do it sometimes. But you saw I saw Clay Helton going doing that, doing that hand motion. I was like, I've never seen you do that before, but he was telling them like, we gotta play to this level, and so to me it just felt a little. Uh, uncharacteristic a little bit he was too into it and I guess can you be as a head coach I don't know I just thought it was a little dis- disingenuous from my perspective I don't see I don't think
0: it's disingenuous I think it's just like you said initially I think it's the stress of you know yeah. all the pressure that's on him right now and which plays into my next heard it um Greg Burns may be the calmest football coach I've ever seen <laughs> ever you know, I, Isaac Taylor Stewart gives up that long touchdown we just talked about. And I go past the bench because obviously the, the field flipped completely. So yeah. I go behind the bench uh, while they're kicking the field, uh, the extra point. I think I was on my phone trying to tweet something out. And I see he's got Isaac Taylor Stewart in a one on one conversation. And has him, I, ITS is sitting on the bench and he's right in his ear. But he's not screaming at him, he's not chewing him out. He's just talking to him. And, you know, I've seen this like at the Colorado game when everyone's going crazy in the fourth quarter. There was no it, it was there was not emotion there, you know, and, and when he did leave Isaac Taylor Stewart, you could see he was angry. You know, he, he was he kind of gave a little clinch of his fist as he was walking away after he got, a, you know, kind of far enough away uh, from Isaac Taylor Stewart. But when he's talking to his players, he's just so calm because I saw him later talking to Talanoa fung on the bench. Same thing. You know, so it wasn't necessarily just this situation. It wasn't, you know, because Talanoa was terrific all game, but he was talking strategy and stuff, and he's just so calm with what he's saying. And I think that that is such a difference from, you know, what Ronnie Bradford had been as a defensive backs coach and maybe what was needed for these younger defensive backs that are on the roster now that are playing so much. I just think it's it's unique, you know, just seeing him, how calm he is. And, you know, when I saw him after practice – he looked a little tired, and I was like, "Is it just that time of the se- season?" Because I was like, "It definitely is for us. You know, we're definitely feeling that it's late in the season." He's like, "No, nah, it's fine. I'm I'm good to go." And he's just he's just super chill, kind of all the time. But I think he might be the calmest football coach I've ever seen in any drastic situation. Didn't matter. I mean, the Colorado game because of what we talked about previous on previous uh, podcast about how you're right behind the bench when you walk behind yeah. it. Yeah. Everyone's fist pumps and stuff when they were when they got the stop late in the game or the drive before that. We got to get a stop. We got to get the ball back to the offense. And he's just super calm and chill and just talking to his players throughout the entire process.
1: And I think you need that with how young that group is, because they're going to make mistakes. And so if you have a guy who's yelling at every mistake, that you might get burnt out on that after a while. You know, having the more teacher calm type might be beneficial for that group specifically.
0: And I think it's a, a good dynamic having Chris Hawkins there because Chris Hawkins is not afraid to get on them either as a grad assistant. Yeah. So you know if you it's it's always good to have the yin and yang when you have a, in a coaching staff. That's why when you're building a coaching staff, it's important to have different personalities on the staff.
1: For sure. You mentioned the drive that Keenan Kristen came out on, and I w- at that point people were kind of going down for injury, so I'm on high alert of like is this guy gimpy? Is this, that's just how I am in games anyway. So I see him start to motion. I need to come out. And so I was like, is he injured? What's happening? So I'm tracking him all the way to the sideline. And then I'm like, oh, there's stoppage. Why is there stoppage? And I look back and there's two USC bodies on the ground. And I'm like, <laughs> what just happened? And how did I miss this? And it was Keenan Slovis and Brett Nilon on the ground. And I was like, this looks very bad. And how did I not see this happen? And so I was like, okay, this is, we're in a DEFCON 1 situation right now, but Luckily for USC, Keaton only had cramps. But he told us this week that – he told the trainers – the trainers obviously go to the starting quarterback before they go to the center. I guess that's the total poll. And he told the trainers, no, no, go to Brett. Go to Brett. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm just cramping. So it was interesting to see that. And And the thing is, is on the sideline, they were – pulling in IV bags you could see bananas you could see like and you could see the guys like massaging his his calves so you were like automatically cramps but for a while there it was like okay what's happening with Keaton again but luckily for for USC it was only cramps
0: yeah, because Brett Neilans was actually a calf injury as well, and yeah. his was a calf sprain, uh, and it looks like he's going to be out a couple weeks. So that's something to keep an eye on in this cow game, especially we'll see if they try to disguise some coverages, do some different things. If Justin Dedeich, who hasn't played very much because he hasn't got those five to eight snaps, because you can't blow anybody out. Yep. Um, you know how he does as far as identifying blitzes, identifying extra guys and stuff when they come in the box. Uh, that will be something interesting to to keep an eye on. Speaking of what Keenan Slovis said this week during practice, I thought it was really interesting. He said, during that first quarter, he said, in my mind, we, I kind of felt we were getting a little lackadaisical on the sidelines. Interesting. And for a f- true, true freshman quarterback to note that, but maybe some of the other guys not note that and pull them together or do something different. You know, I think that that's interesting that he could feel it and say, oh, this is sitting you know people are just thinking oh we're gonna blow right through them you know they can come back easily especially with our special teams i don't know if he said that but maybe that's what <laughs> he was thinking shady maybe that's what he was thinking because that's kind of what helped happened um but you know i th- i think it kind of points to his maturity and how he how quickly he's matured as a freshman already yeah but also kind of points to the you know immaturity of the team as a whole
1: and that's something we've seen USC struggle with for a couple seasons. If they actually get to a hot start and get up, they kind of put on cruise control to their detriment where they're in, like cuz the game that comes to my mind is Colorado 2 years ago at Colorado. That was another game where they got to a lead and then slowly the the opponent crept back in. So this team and the killer instinct, you know, it's it, it doesn't seem like it's always there. And I think that comes from, you know, top down as well. And that's
0: that's probably a good question for Taylor Mays, you know, in the future is, you know, how do you keep that killer instinct? I think you have to have those leaders that are like, hey, it, just because we're up, let's keep piling it on, piling it on, piling Because you don't want to be the team that gives up the big comeback. You don't want to be Michigan State losing to Illinois after being up however much they were up. So, you know, that, that's the type of things that, that you have to – Avoid And I think it takes leadership both from the staff and from veteran players to keep that from happening.
1: Yeah, Taylor's definitely said it's top down. It's culture of, of head coach and below. So something that happened this week plays into something that we talk about a lot on this show. And you specifically. And the word that comes to mind, or the two words that come to mind is... You play to win the game. Oh, wait, no. No, no that's not it. Wrong week. Oh, that's... You should have said that last week. <laughs> Injury management. That wasn't the first two words, but the first two words were Port Augustine in my mind. <laughs> because Vivai Malapai essentially had the same type of thing happen. vivai was saying that like this season has been a learning process for him and like learning when to speak up about his injury, learning how hard to push his body. I asked him, when were you the healthiest this season? And he said, maybe the first day of fall camp. <laughs> yeah. And he said that he didn't even alert the trainers that he was having issues with his knee until the BYU game. And it was one of those scrums where he actually said, I don't know if I should be saying this. And those are the scrums that you always want to be in. But he was saying, essentially, you don't even know the half of it of what we had to do after games to get my knee right. They had to drain it. He was like, it would swell so big. I was pushing myself. I was pushing myself. And I thought I could keep helping the team. And it's just one of those things where, okay, who's obviously people are seeing that his knee swollen. They're seeing that they're draining his knee. Who's in charge of, maybe we should give him less reps. Maybe we should sit him down for a week. Maybe we shouldn't push him this hard. To me, I just don't understand why. I get that the player is involved in this, but I also think that trainers or someone should step in at some point and be like, this is too much.
0: Maybe we shouldn't have him
1: covering kicks. Ma- exactly. Uh, and you. the punt coverage team. There has to be a better process to evaluate injuries and shut guys down when they need to be shut down and not wait until... Hey, I can't drain my knee anymore. We should shut this down. You know, to me, this seems like a serious thing that keeps getting overlooked. You know, you have Juju push through things. You have Porter Gustin push through things. I get playing for your team and pushing past injury and whatnot.
0: Being a warrior.
1: Sure. But at the same time, I think there needs to be better judgment in these situations. And on that note,
0: uh, let's see. Drake Jackson played 57 of the 65 defensive snaps uh, coming off an injury. Obviously had a high ankle sprain that caused him to miss a couple games. And Christian Rector played 57 of the 64 defensive snaps. And obviously neither of those guys are 100%. So shouldn't you those are the type of those are the type guys that should be there should be some load management there. Where's Kawhi Leonard when you need him? Um, <laughs> hey, but hey, hey. <laughs> 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 Great Chime in there. Thank you. Um, but yeah, you would think that and you see a guy like EA He comes back for one week. Now he's back out again. You know, is he going to even be available this week? Now I know they wanted to get certain guys back for the Oregon game. They felt that the physicality of that game, they needed certain players, certain types of players. And maybe you figured you might have a guy one week out of four or something like that. So let's get it in the middle, even though that's probably not the best way to do it. And sometimes that happens. That happens when you're looking at future schedules and different things. The Vi one is interesting because he said his knee started what he was swelling up after the first couple of days
1: he didn't he didn't fully say but it sounded like it, a, it
0: was bothering him
1: it was definitely bothering him even before the season started and there has to be a, a talk with the players too that
0: hey if something's bothering you we need to know even if it's a minor if it's something that's lingering for 3 days in a row type of thing just let us know let's let's mark it down so we have an idea if they're you know, if something else comes up, you know, if your your knees bothering you for three or four days, and then suddenly you have a hamstring that's bothering you. That's connected. Those are the type of things we need to know as a as a training staff as well. So there needs to be that education. Now, I don't know, I
1: don't know who you put the fault on there. It may be that they, they do do that, and you know, he's. That's where I don't know where to put the fault because what if I just. Yeah. kept this, it. then it's not necessarily on the trainers. But, but there,
0: there needs to be that education, you know, maybe they do have it, but th- that's something that's, and you need to, the players need to trust the training staff that they're going to have their best interest in mind. You know, If you watch the movie um, Any Given Sunday, it gives a great portrayal of guys are trying to play through injury, and, versus, and it's a fictionalized story, but it, it gives kind of the give and take between you know the doctors and players it's way overblown but to an extent you see guys want to be on the field they know they need to get taped you know especially if you're in a position battle type uh you know you want to be out there because you you're not going to move up the depth chart otherwise but you have to know that if you're not 100% you could be costing yourself even more by trying to play through an injury either you're going to look worse or you're going to injure yourself more significantly and and hurt the team in the long run that way
1: yeah, without a doubt.
0: And my last heard it on the sideline. Actually, you heard it first, but then I looked through the transcript. But you know, Brandon Ayuk and Frank Darby mm, after the yep. game, two receivers from Arizona State. Now, Darby, I think this is the one, uh, or I think Ayuk is is the one you heard, you know, on the field because you said you heard the presser.
1: What's interesting is that they put ASU put the postgame presser in the stadium. So when I was running and getting my stuff from the the media room. I was like running with my stuff, and I hear a presser, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. So I got some of that.
0: <laughs> it, I mean, and that encourages fans to stay around and stuff. Sure. But uh, I said we are losing to teams that we are better than. We are better than that team out there. So that's just a straight blow. Like, yeah, we're better than that team. I don't know how we lost. Now, he had a big game, so that helps you say things. Uh, but <laughs> the fact that he said that, and then Frank Darby, another receiver who had a big touchdown, he said if we – this was added in, but if we subtract the penalties that brought plays back, that could have been a blowout. If He's saying if they... If and this they, is a team that was down 28-7. to 7. Yeah, that was being blown out. Saying that if we just didn't have penalties, we could have blown them out. This game would have been over, and we'd have ended their season, and it would have been over. I was just like, when I read that, I was like, Whoa. That's why I pointed that to you. I was
1: like, this is some heat. Whoa. And that tells you what people think of USC right now. Mm-hmm. Well, even in the fact that ASU never thought that they were out of the game, down that much. I felt like in their play style, they never were out of it.
0: Yeah, and, that, and that's partly because I think they know that USC can't blow teams out. And even the broadcast talking about, well, USC's up, but you know, let's okay. see if they, if they fade again like they've done in the past type of thing. So yeah. they've, USC's basically got a reputation right now. Hey, they're going to start strong, but if you just wait them out... They'll make some mistakes. They'll let you back in the game. They'll special teams it.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. So shady today. They were... god <laughs> awful. Yeah. Yeah. It's deserved shade. I didn't say it was undeserved. I didn't even put them on my stock down. What are you talking about? Mm, yeah, but you're still shady. <laughs> my final hurt it is for the masses, shotgun. You almost got mauled on the sideline, but you were calm, cool, and collected. At least that's how you played it off. I think you were just in a kneel and couldn't move even if you wanted to. What? Why couldn't I move? Because <laughs> kneeling is hard. <laughs> no, it's
0: no, the option was I assessed my situation. I assessed that he was, you know, he jumped up to catch the ball on the sideline, and then he just got, you know, it's kind of a love tap being pushed out of bounds. So I figured that he would be able to stop his momentum. You know, been on the sidelines a couple of times, you know, seen guys go out of bounds. You you kind of get an idea of how fast they're going or slow they're going. And when you're in trouble versus when you're not. And, you know, it was I just didn't I didn't feel like there was a threat there. You know, basically he, he came and it was like a very love tap, you know, just a bump. Uh, so I just kind of turned my body away so, you know, he didn't hit my camera or anything. That was about it. But yeah, I just kinda assessed his momentum and I could tell. Now if he was going full speed down the sideline and running up and the guy was coming from the middle of the field and hitting him. My thought was in my head is like when I was assessing the situation was like if he's going too fast what do I do I was just going to go flat on the ground and give him something to jump over because what was the what what did Ryan tell you your first day
1: Ryan one of the things that like have has been etched in my memory is Ryan was just like if anyone comes at you just stay still they're more athletic, and they'll like dodge you. <laughs> I don't know why Ryan sounds like the Terminator right now.
0: <laughs> you can dodge a wrench. You can dodge a ball.
1: Sure, yeah, like that. But R- yeah.
0: R.I.P. Rip Torn.
1: I've seen parts of Dodgeball, so I kind of get this reference. Oh, my goodness. You get a movie reference. Yay!
0: <laughs> no, yeah. These guys are so athletic, and usually you know, if you're stationary and they're going full speed, they've got a much better chance of moving out of your way. Uh, to avoid you. Because they're
1: accounting for you. And if you yeah. do something unexpected, then that's when it goes haywire. Yeah,
0: the only time you really want to like try to do something is if they get knocked out of bounds and like they're sprawling. like They're getting knocked on the ground. When
1: they don't have control. Yeah, yeah the <laughs> workplace hazards. So interesting. <laughs> uh, so interesting. Uh, before we get into questions, it's now time for... Shotgun, what do you make of this? <laughs> <laughs> You've now changed the segment names. I have. I have. What do you make of this team? Two games left. I mean, what do you make of it?
0: <laughs> just completely open ended. It. it used to be agree-disagree. I've got some topics. Now it's just no. what
1: do you make of it? I don't even And that's I think indicative of the season.
0: Yeah, I think so too. Uh it's there's talent. You know, we've talked about it. There's talent on the team. A lot of young guys are playing, you know, above where we expected them to be right now. And I give the coaches credit for, you know, some of the talent that has been developed this year. You know, that's been a big question. In the past, is about developing talent, and I think you're seeing guys, and, and a lot of it is young guys that are just getting their opportunities, and they're they're making the most of them and playing better and better. But I think you're seeing guys develop more this season, and that's a positive thing. And they identified some good underrated talent with guys like Dorian Hewitt and even Keenan Christen to an extent, and Keenan Slovis. So you know, I think they did a good job in the recruiting class last year, even though it, you know it was the worst recruiting class they'd had. Now, 20th ranked versus 77th, where they're currently at, is a much different beast. Uh, you know, in trying to bounce back as far as recruiting, but you know, I, I think that this team just is not disciplined enough. You know, and I, I don't mean that just in the sense of penalties. Penalties obviously are a big issue, but staying in your lanes on kickoff coverage, or knowing when you're supposed to be in the game versus out of the game, uh, you know, or tackling i think that's a discipline issue as well because you're not consistently doing it enough and you're not disciplined enough to follow the little bit of training you've had on it you so i think there's things that could be done to help this team but it's a little late for those things now now they can still win two games and if things fall their way get into the Pac-12 championship, and they can make a roll. It's still a possibility. Which it's unlikely. Which is unlikely. Crazy, yeah. Unlikely. And the fact that Ryan told us that the spread is 21 and a half, that Utah is a favorite over UCLA, which is mind-boggling to me. Um, so you know, usually Vegas knows what they're talking about. You don't see a ton of upsets when there's that big, especially this late in the season. When you see early season upsets that are big time, Appalachian State-style stuff, Okay, I understand that over Michigan. Those type you you understand a little bit more. But late season, you know, that's when you get into the USC Stanford uh, upset and with Harbaugh. So so I don't see it for USC if UCLA is a twenty one and a half point underdog to Utah. And you know, I just don't see them going up there and getting a miraculous win, and then somehow USC finding their way in. But you, know, if they can win two more games get a quality bowl game. I think that's a positive thing for this team to enhance on, but overall they just, there's still untapped potential.
1: Yep. Without a doubt. So that's what I make of it. How much weight are you putting in these next two games? Does it really matter for you? Or is it just kind of things need to change at a higher level?
0: I mean, I think I don't know what you take away uh, from two regular season games with this group. You know, you, you haven't, fully tapped into it. You haven't done what you said that you were going to focus in the offseason on, be the CEO, work on penalties and turnovers. Those things have been the biggest bugaboos uh, for the team this season. So what can you say or do in two games that's going to make me think that things are going to be drastically different going forward? Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think so. If they, played a, if they played two straight complete games, that would definitely open my eyes. That would probably be the biggest thing. If they came out for four quarters and played consistently well two weeks in a row, I would be shocked for one, but it would also open my eyes and say, hey, maybe they have turned a corner. But I think it's too late either way. Do you mean for the coaching staff?
1: Who are you talking about?
0: I'm just referencing this team. Okay. Still.
1: Okay, but this team could encompass a lot of things.
0: I'm just talking about the team and the roster. So big. So big, (laughs) Mr.
1: Gunn.
0: Yeah, I mean... We know what this coaching staff's gonna bring. You know, it's not like the the pawns that were moved didn't drastically change the issues at a whole. Mm-hmm. So then the issue or the question becomes once again, what does the administration want? Yep. Are they okay with the faults that this this group has and continues to have and will have next season if Clay Helton is back? I don't see that there'd be anything drastically different. If you focused on it all off season, why would it be different next year? Yeah. yeah, Um so you know, if you're okay with that, then so be it. If you're okay with somehow things go their way and they go, you know, you go eight and four, you get into a bowl game, you win that, and you're nine and four, if that's fine, then then so be it. But I don't see it being drastically different, no.
1: I agree. That's weird. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, let's get into questions. First up, Michael from Newport sent us an email saying, "Does anyone know who voted for USC in the AP poll? Was it Clay's dad? Fight on and beat the Bears." Clay's dad is not
0: an Associated Press writer, so um, or media writer, so I don't think he, he's in the media poll there. Unfortunately for him and Clay, because then maybe you get a couple more votes. No, I don't. I don't know. Someone probably saw them on a good day. Maybe it's the Utah writer. You know. Saw them and was like, oh, these guys are a Stanford writer or someone. Caught someone the, first, in the, the first, the uh, first quarter. I don't know. It's, it's yeah, that also could be true. You know, caught a caught one of the late games and just saw the first quarter. You know, that that may be it. Or
1: yeah, well, it looks good. Put him in there
0: you know my I couldn't get CBS to work right so I was watching you know the the USC game first and then I switched over to LSU Alabama so I when I saw them they were up 28 to 7 what, what happened one other thing it could be with the voting is that there's not that many great teams out there you know this happens every season you you get towards a certain point in the season you're like if you're an actual voter or if you compiled a top 25 cuz I used to do that it was compile a top 25 just to see and you get down to 18 to 25 and you're like eh who's the best of the world the teams that are mediocre cuz none of those 18 to 25 teams are you're just like you're blown away by like all these teams have a lot of faults and maybe someone's looking at USC and saying there's some talent there but you know there's definitely some faults as well
1: Let's go to our next email, and it's from Mark. He says, Rewatch the ASU game, and the run blocking was really bad again despite going against one of the worst run defenses in the country. How much of the inability to run block do you think is due to the way they practiced going back to fall camp? From the start of camp to the Fresno State game, I believe they had 10 days of no practice slash walkthrough, another four days of no pads, and only six days total of full pads. How are they ever going to become a better run blocking team this year with so few full padded practices to work on it? Sorry for the long question. Keep up the great work, guys. Best USC podcast out there. What?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Saved himself a little bit there by saying they were the
1: best. I know. Because I was going to say, Mark, check your stats. Uh, ASU had the 23rd ranked run defense in the nation and third in the pac twelve.
0: Yeah, so they had a good run defense. Their pass defense was not very good. They created a lot of turnovers. That was kind of their defensive philosophy. USC could have run the ball against them, but I think it was more I don't I'm not blaming the offensive line as much as I think the depth at running back and the fact that the guy that they have back there Keenan Kristen, is very slight is is kind of limiting what they could do. Like I said earlier about Harold, you know, mentioning that you know, having those those guys Kind of open up the playbook, and I think it's just they've been so limited with what they can do. They've tried to do those other things, but I think that's played into it, and that doesn't help out the offensive line. That the defense knows you've got a limited uh, playbook, and you know, run game in the run game at least, and can they can drop eight a little bit more and do different things. Uh, I just think that that's having more of an impact than just the offensive line not blocking well. Because if you remember last year, especially early in the season.
1: I don't want oh, to. Wow, you're grimacing hard. <laughs> I don't over want there. to. I don't want to.
0: <laughs> there was just times when guy there was just so many whiffs. I mean, you try to throw a screen pass and there's four guys in front of you know, to block two defenders and neither one of them gets blocked. Those type of things. That's not been the case with this this group.
1: Not necessarily.
0: Yeah, it's not a consistently bad effort either. You know, like it was in say the Stanford game last year. Or yeah.
1: Texas stands out to me.
0: Yeah, Texas as well. You know, just they couldn't run the ball at all because they struggled. They struggled a lot in that Utah game, definitely. Um, and you know they've been shut down at times, but I think it's more on play calling to an extent than just the offensive line. Whereas last year is just like you look at it, and one of the questions that we posed back and forth was like, are your hands just tied as a play caller? Yeah. Last year because yeah. of how the offensive line was I don't think that's the case this year um, Now If they were hitting more in practice Would the offensive line play improve? Yes, it's the same as tackling You know, If you're going full speed And you get a better feel on it
1: And the interesting thing Talking to Justin Dietrich this week Is he was saying that Yeah, we practice But it's just a completely different animal When you get into game mm. speed Which is true But also if you mimic it More like game-like situations I think it wouldn't be that much of a jump and
0: one of the things is when you're run blocking is getting to the second level, and that's the same thing as tackling is that angle, getting mm-hmm. that right angle and getting your hat placement correct. Going 100% versus 70% makes it that much more difficult when you're in games because if you're, you know, your walk-ons, your scout team guys are going 70% so that you can get your right block on, now how when you put in a guy – you know, say Vontez Burfict still at ASU. You put him on the other side, oh and, that, boy. and now you're trying to block him going full speed. How different is that? That's that's such a different game that you're looking at there uh, for for an, uh, an offense alignment. So I think that really impacts them as well.
1: Let's go to our final email, and it's from our buddy Maybeth from Ontario. She says, "Hello, Keely and Shotgun. There are head football coaches, and then there are elite head football coaches." Underlined and italicized. I would agree. What are the qualities elite head football coaches such as Pete Carroll, Urban Meyer, Dappo Sweeney, and Nick share? Can these qualities be taught or are they innate? Thank you for everything you do. Your dedication to USC football is admirable. Keep feuding and fight on. Now,
0: Urban Meyer was on the the Move the Sticks podcast. Ryan loved it. So since we were going to Arizona and Chris Trevino and I were riding together, we decided, hey, let's listen to this podcast. Check it out. And one of the things he says on that is how much he's grown as a coach from when he was a young guy to, to you know, in his career when he's at Ohio State, from Bowling Green to Ohio State, or even as an assistant until his Ohio State days. So, yes, I think they're taught. You learn what really works, what doesn't work. It's always going to evolve, you know, the tactics of motivation and things like that. Those things are going to evolve as the game evolves. You know, strategy is going to evolve, but the... You know the main qualities of can you motivate? That's a big one. Can you breed toughness? I mean, that's something that Urban Meyer talks about all the time. But that's something you look at Pete Carroll. You know, it's all it was all about defense, being tough. You know, that's why it was compete every day, you know, ones versus ones, all that type of stuff.
1: Practices were harder than
0: games. Yeah, all that. That's Nick Saban obviously is the same way. Now Dabo Swinney is is. Listed in this group, he takes a different take to you know the way they practice, but it's all about competition at the same time. You know they might not practice as hard as Nick Saban. You know Urban Meyer. You know there's different there's different ways to go about things, but it's about instilling toughness to begin with. Football is about toughness. It's a simple thing. You know you had to be tough to play football. You can't just you, you can't be soft. To be honest, Well <laughs>
1: Another time where it's such a Taylor Mays because he always says football is the one sport where you play for respect and you can't be soft and it's man against man. So it was all the Taylor Mays things were popping through my head.
0: <laughs> Maybet and Taylor Mays, uh, They
1: should have a conversation. Yeah, because she, allu- she keeps bringing out the Taylor Mays answers yeah, with their questions.
0: Exactly. So I think it's that. Um, but respect is a big one. Just like you said, If if a coach can gain respect and respects his players at the same time. You know, honesty. You know those the things that make good people can make good coaches. You know the things that make the best teachers in a classroom. I think make good coaches as well. Now you have to yell and scream, or you get to yell and scream a little bit more than you know teachers in a classroom do. But you know it's all the same things. If you you're, if a teacher has respect to the class, then they're less likely to act up. It's the same thing with the head coach.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I think authenticity is key. Yeah, I I think that's And we talk about it all the time. You you can't fake it.
0: Yeah, and you can be a nice guy. You can be a mean guy. But, you know, as long as you're consistent, too, I think that's a big one. Consistency is big because that leads to authenticity. You know, they know you're not playing favorites. You're going to play, not play favorites, but you're going to treat people differently Mm -hmm. on a team. So those are some of the qualities, I would say.
1: Yeah, I do think that there's... The foundation has to be there. For a great coach, and learning, of course, has to evolve. But I think there has to be a base. Yeah, no,
0: like I said, I think there, evolve is a good word. There's gonna be evolution. The game's gonna change. You know, tactics are gonna change. Motivational tactics are gonna change. But it starts with toughness, respect. You know, those type of, of words. That you know the things that you see the integrity you see on the the capstone at a at a school or something you know this is our scholarship integrity I'm trying to remember what my word undergrad <laughs> scholarship integrity were definitely two of them we had a big stone in
1: the middle of campus that had clearly made a lasting on impression on you oh yeah yeah anyway uh, how do you think this one's gonna go on Saturday Mister Gun um who knows
0: it's USC it's Pac-12 after dark
1: dun, dun, dun.
0: and it's And it's uh, a true freshman quarterback playing against a very veteran secondary. I think that's going to be the key right there. With a middle linebacker that will tackle your mama, you know. (laughs) He he tackles everything. Evan Weaver just hits anything around. If your mama brought a football to the game, he might tackle her.
1: Protect your mama. (laughs) Second week in a row, we have like some tagline for something at the end. Evan (laughs) Weaver, he'll tackle your mama. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> Whatever it takes That guy He's averaging over 15 Tackles per game um, So How does USC attack him Try to Do you go at him Do you try to negate him Do you let him get his And try to stop everybody else Type of thing You know Which way do you You kind of attack A, a Kobe You know Kobe When you're playing a, Against a guy like that
1: Make Kobe a nobi.
0: Oh I like it
1: Thank you You didn't give a score prediction though
0: I don't I hate score prediction Why did you even ask me for it
1: It's part of the game that kind of weak.
0: <laughs> no, that's how I feel about score predictions all, all Uh Twenty eighteen. That's what I said on the tunnel vision. So I'm gonna go with that.
1: Cool. What I say? Twenty one seventeen. That's my prediction. USC team, sir. Who's going to win? Team the- Shotgun's gonna win. Oh my goodness. Woo-hoo. <laughs> Whatever. Alrighty. Woo-hoo whoop whoop (laughs) okay time to shut you down whoop whoop that's gonna wrap it up that's i'm calling my prediction right there but you didn't say who won whoop whoop on the road oh got it well done not really but well done it just took you way too long because this was some new thing that you implemented (laughs) this week it's not like we whoop whoop every podcast anyway that's gonna wrap it up um, we'll be back next Just week. Implementing new things as we go. Sure. I love we're, it. We're evolving. Evolving. Come on. <laughs> yep, exactly. Duh. <laughs> uh, duh. Duh. Not to be confused with ew. 8 p.m. kickoff. Anyway, that's going to wrap it up. That shotgun. I'm Keely. Thanks for listening, and we'll see y'all next week. Peace.